Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. You know, among the many challenges facing Catholics in the United States today, we need to defend our ability to worship in freedom and proclaim the truth of the faith. Our guest today, Archbishop Salvatore J. Cordelioni of San Francisco, is a bold witness in that regard. But before we get into that interview, I want to provide some background. We have lived through decades in which Catholics elected to high office in our country have supported and enacted policies and laws favoring abortion that results in the destruction of innocent life. This is a tragedy. President Joe Biden and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi are both Catholics who support abortion under the euphemism of, quote, reproductive health care, unquote. Speaker Pelosi, who represents San Francisco in Congress, went a step further in a recent podcast with Hillary Clinton, the former First Lady and former Secretary of State. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi mentioned that those who voted for Donald Trump on, abor- on the abortion issue caused her great grief as a Catholic, accusing them of being willing to sell the whole democracy down the river for that one issue. So I'm going to read to you a response by Archbishop Cordelioni to that interview. And after we get done with that reading of his response, we'll talk to the Archbishop and get some more details and really find out how dangerous this really is to Catholics and how it must be confronted not only by the hierarchy of the Church, but also by the laity. Here is the Archbishop's response to Speaker Pelosi. To begin with, the obvious. Nancy Pelosi does not speak for the Catholic Church. She speaks as a high-level, important government leader and as a private citizen. And on the question of the equal dignity of human life in the womb, she also speaks in direct contradiction to a fundamental human right that Catholic teaching has consistently championed for 2,000 years. Christians have always understood that the commandment, Thou shall not kill, applies to all life including life in the womb. Around the end of the first century, the letter of Barnabas states, You shall not slay the child by procuring abortion, nor again shall you destroy it after it is born. 1,865 years later, the Second Vatican Council affirmed, Life must be protected with the utmost care from the moment of conception. Abortion and infanticide are abominable crimes. Pope Francis continues this unbroken teaching, addressing participants in a conference, yes to life, take care of the precious gift of life in its frailty. He condemned abortion in the strongest possible terms. Is it licit to eliminate a human life to solve a problem? It is not licit. Never, never eliminate a human life to solve a problem. Abortion is never the answer that women and families are looking for. Just the other day, Archbishop Gomez, president of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, reiterated the declaration of the U.S. bishops that abortion is for Catholics the preeminent priority. In doing so, he acted rightly and collaboratively in his role as the U.S. CCB president, and I am grateful to him for doing so. Preeminent does not mean only, of course. 
There are certainly many evils we must confront and many goods we must pursue. In his inaugural speech yesterday, President Biden gave a moving call to unity and healing. He offered what I would call a litany of compassion, bringing before the eyes of the nation the suffering of people across the wide spectrum of issues. In my experience, advocates for unborn children also work diligently to be of service in many of these causes as well. Speaker Pelosi has chosen this week to impugn the motives of millions of Catholics and others for choosing to make voting on the issue of abortion their priority and accuses them of selling out democracy. This is not the language of unity and healing. She owes these voters an apology. I myself will not presume to know what was in the minds of Catholic voters when they voted for the presidential candidate of their choice, no matter who their preferred candidate was. There are many issues of very grave moral consequence that Catholics must weigh in good conscience when they vote. But one thing is clear, no Catholic in good conscience can favor abortion. Right to choose is a smokescreen for perpetuating an entire industry that profits from one of the most heinous evils imaginable. Our land is soaked with the blood of the innocent, and it must stop. That is why, as Catholics, we will continue to speak out on behalf of those who have no voice to speak for themselves and to reach out to, comfort, and support those who are suffering the scars of the abortion experience. We will do so until our land is finally rid of this despicable evil. This was the letter in response to Speaker Pelosi's criticism of pro-lifers by Archbishop Cordelione, Archbishop of San Francisco. He was appointed Archbishop in 2012 and was installed of October in October of that year uh, on the feast of St. Francis of Assisi at the Cathedral at St. Mary's of the Assumption. Uh, the Archbishop also serves as the chairman of the USCCB Committee on Lay, Marriage, and Family Life and Youth. Your Excellency, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, before we get into uh, the challenges of dealing with politicians that kind of pervert the teachings of the church and cause scandal, uh, you have an other issue, of, um, probably among many, uh, and that's with you know not being able to have enough people come in worship, come to Mass, and receive the sacraments. And so you've started something called freethemass.com. What's that all about? Yes, well, it's a very long and drawn-out uh, history, even though it's brief. Uh, it started when uh, the uh, city of San Francisco was being even more restrictive than the state of California with regard to rules on, on worship. And so we decided to have uh, a movement to manifest our uh, insistence that our, our right to worship be respected. At the time, this was back in the summer and early fall, the, uh, there was no indoor worship allowed, and outdoor gatherings were limited to 12 people, even though they were allowing these, the street protests were going on at the time that the city was allowing and actually even participating in. So it began by having multiple masses on our cathedral plaza, which is very large, and uh, we, at, at one point, they... They increased it to, um, to, I think, 20 uh, people, and uh, we had about 20 masses. No, it must have been 50, because we had 20 masses, and it was close to 1,000 people. 
out on a plaza in the cathedral property. Uh, so, uh, so it was a way of showing that uh, we can worship safely, and we have the scientific data to show we could worship indoors safely. So, it's still uh, San Francisco is now in line with what the state of California uh, requires, but the state of California is overly restrictive. So yes, still, out of the frying pan into the fire. Yes, yes. Well, California is the only state in the union now that allows no indoor worship. There are other states that have ridiculously low limits, right? Uh, but California, um, it absolutely not at all. Other than to just to live stream a service. Well, so, that, and also I heard when I was doing exchange with your communications people that Facebook is blocking your ads on this too, right? Yes, yes, that's true. So the assaults are everywhere. So, so people um, can go to freethemass.com. Is that is that the web page for it? Yeah, we started this. It was started as an online petition. Uh, we're still asking people to go there and, and sign up. They could also uh, keep up to date with, with what our efforts are to uh, to move in this direction to insist that our, our right to worship be respected. Freethemass.com. Okay, I encourage everybody to go to that, sign up, and, yeah, and find out what's going on and... Uh, hopefully free up the mass in California because it's ridiculous that we have that kind of prejudice against the faith, but not surprising, unfortunately. Now you got, I, you know, I read your response to Speaker Pelosi's comments and, you know, they were spot on. I really appreciate you standing up. You know, no Catholic in good conscience can favor abortion. Our land is soaked with the blood of the innocent. It must stop. How challenging is it knowing that you know, these are people whose souls are in grave jeopardy and they're causing scandals. So you kind of have to reach out to not only them, but really, uh, you know, make sure the teachings are clear so that it doesn't cause further scandal or people to stray from the church, right? That's the biggest, and there are many concerns, but that's probably the biggest one, how other people could be led astray into error, to do very serious evil, and to put their own souls into jeopardy. So, I just needed to be clear that this is this is a, a very very serious evil, and Catholics can't have anything to do with it. Well, we respect life in all its stages and all its conditions, and it's under attack in so many ways in our society. But certainly, perhaps most brutally, uh, with regard to this. Uh, horrendous sin of abortion. Yeah, I mean, whether it's abortion, whether it's, you know, the marriage issue, the gender ideology issue, I mean, there's so many issues that are being perverted uh, that really are, you know, a danger to people's souls, and ours too, if we don't speak up, right? We have an obligation to speak the truth when the sp- when the truth is not spoken clearly or perverted. Yes, uh, well, you know, Edmund Burke had the famous saying that uh, the only thing evil needs to prevail is for good people to say nothing. So it is that certainly, if, if we're going to be true disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, it means we need to be witnesses to his truth and his, his beauty and goodness. And uh, so we can't, we can't be silent in the face of evil. We have to be compassionate and loving, but also uh, speak with conviction. You know, in 2004, and I think you were uh, uh, installed as an auxiliary bishop in 2002, but in 2004, Cardinal Ratzinger did a le- you know, sent out a letter on the worthiness to receive communion. How has that letter uh, kind of guided you uh, throughout your years as a bishop in terms of how to respond to politicians that claim, you know, that say they're Catholic but go against the teachings of the Church? 
the letter basically was um, common sense uh, approach that it's necessary to have conversations and try to convince Catholics in public life, no matter what walk of public life it is, to uh, help them understand the issue and, and move them their hearts on the path of uh, conversion. And those conversations have to take place on a pastoral level before any uh, kind of pronouncements are made. So it's I've been trying to to um, follow that strategy. How is that received when you when you reach out to and I don't you know not a particular politician, but when you reach out to a politician, are they open to the dialogue or you know how do they respond? Well, I think you know it depends on the politician in question. I, I think there is um, something of a there is something of a bubble that uh, they live in, uh, especially if they've been involved in that world for a very long time. So it's it's trying. It's necessary to try to break through that and um, help them help them understand how a lot of their constituents are are living and 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 are thinking and uh, kind of to be in touch with them. So it's trying to to break through to that level, which can be challenging sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, I guess in the end, you just have to try, right? I mean, they ha- it's it's up to them to whether they're going to embrace it or not embrace it. Uh, you know, George Weigel just wrote an, an article uh, maybe a week or so ago uh, that talked about, you know, President Biden and this kind of being an, an inflection point for the Catholic Church. How concerned are you when we have now the head of, you know, the president of the United States, uh, you know, promoting abortion, promoting all these things, yet claiming to be a faithful Catholic how concerned are you with with uh, the delicacy of the church and, and people and losing people because of this? I'm very concerned because it is a very delicate situation. I mean, there's a danger that um, now these Catholics in high high profile, prominent positions, uh, now even the president, can mislead Catholics. So that's the, the problem of of uh, scandal. But it also is this risk of causing further division in the church and where where their loyalties, you know. So um, so it is uh, something very worrisome to me. But I I think we have to um, speak even more clearly now about um, there's a whole panoply of issues that affect human life and dignity that don't fall into any one political category. They're kind of across the spectrum. Right. So we have to identify what are some issues are foundational. Some are very, there's more clarity. Others, there's more nuance to them. So, you know, I've given this example of abortion is a concrete action. That's a horrendous evil. Uh, if you think about what happens in an abortion, it's, it's hard to imagine anything more gruesomely evil. Now, another attack on human dignity is racism. And we have to admit, as much as many of us love our country, there are there are deep problems of racism in the country. But racism is an attitude. It's not a specific action. It manifests itself in specific actions. Everything from telling a racially colored joke to lynching. Now, that's a pretty broad spectrum. Right. You know, so if we had, say, a politician who's really good on a lot of issues, but once in a while tells an off-colored racial joke, we might win. Uh, but, you know, it's not like a deal breaker. But if say they're good on the economy and they're good on the environment, but they also condone uh, lynching people of a certain race or a certain religion. Well, 
that's pretty much of a deal breaker, you know, no matter how good they are on other issues. So I think we need to help people understand the, the gravity and, and, and uh, fundamental uh, uh, reality of this, this issue of life at its very beginning. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, in, in the end, if somebody can't defend life, I really don't value their opinion very much. It'd be like, you know, taking marital advice from somebody who abuses his wife. Uh, you're not going to listen to them because they have no credibility whatsoever. And what they're doing is actually criminal. So I, I totally agree. And I think that's a point people need to understand. How how resolute are the bishops in terms of addressing this is and I know Archbishop Gomez came out with a very good statement on inauguration day and you know had positives but he also you know addressed the issues uh, how and you would know how uh, together are the bishops on this to make sure that you guys stand as a unified body to defend these teachings of the church and the preeminent one meaning life Yes, well, I'm sensing a growing resolve. I mean, the bishops have always been pro-life. I mean, uh, let's face it, um, we're attacked a lot, and um, a lot of it has to do with because we have been consistently pro-life, even in the face of the pro-life movement in our country for 50 years. Uh, so there's no question that the bishops are pro-life. I'm sensing a growing momentum of resolve in being be even stronger and more outspoken on this particular life issue because of everything that is at stake right now. And I think uh, Bishop Gomez's letter, I think, is a very good example of where most of our bishops are at because it was it was a balanced letter, you know, and he, he spoke about other issues. And we're always willing to partner with people on issues of common concern, if, even if we have disagreements on other issues. And uh, certainly we've done that with every administration, and we'll continue to do that. So he brought up all the issues, but it was also very clear about some of these issues of foundational value, um, such as, you know, life, uh, marriage and family, and uh, uh, these issues, religious liberty, you know. So I, I'm, I'm sensing a growing uh, resolve uh, because of the awareness of the urgency of the situation now. So I think... Archbishop Gomez's letter is sort of a good um, barometer of where the bishops are at right now. And, you know, going back to the original thing we were talking about regarding the mass, do you think that the COVID pandemic and the attack really on religion has kind of galvanized the bishops as well? I mean, realizing that, you know, the attacks are coming from all areas, but, you know, if you stand as a unified body, it's going to be hard to uh, really go against you been different in different states, <laughs> you know, so uh, it's hard to say on a national level. Right. But I can say here locally, it's galvanized the lay faithful. They're all upset, uh, no matter where they are on the political or church spectrum, uh, you know, it's, and we have a very diverse archdiocese here, uh, ethnically, uh, from political perspective, socioeconomically, but it really has united everyone in this effort. So I, I think it has here, it certainly has that has had that effect in our local church. Well, and I think, you know, to, to going back to your letter, I think you made a good point when you said, look, let's, let's talk about the obvious here. Uh, Speaker Pelosi does not speak for the Catholic church. And the, the, you know, the more in the limelight, the more, the louder the bishops speak, hopefully that'll drown out what people seem to think 
uh, politicians have any weight when they're talking about, you know, the teachings of the Catholic Church, especially when they go against them? Yeah, that's always a challenge because, um, you know, we need to use our own uh, media for that. Uh, we're not going to be given that kind of voice in the, the dominant uh, secular media. Uh, but that's why I think we have to speak uh, not angrily, you know, or, or harshly, or um, there's so much hostile rhetoric in, in the country that's sort of polarizing us. That was another thing that distressed me with her comments of sort of villainizing voters on the other side. Um, we need to, rather than retort in the same way, we need to lead by example, with speaking to understand, uh, speaking in charity, but also speaking the truth with clarity. Well, and in the end, some you know people are some people buy the lies of the evil one, and it really is, I think, to your point, is a good reminder. We need to be praying for everyone, right? They're not our enemy. They may be misguided, but they're not our enemies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We always our, our our desire is always for people's conversions, and of course, that means we have to begin with our own. We have to always have to be looking at our own heart and the constant purification we all need if we want to be agents of conversion for others. How have you seen the faithful in, in the Archdiocese of San Francisco rally around your statement and rally around, you know, free the Mass? Has this really been a, an opportunity to kind of galvanize the faithful there? Uh, a- absolutely. I compare that moment. So we had uh, the big Mass, or the big event when we had the 20 Masses on our cathedral property. We had In English, Spanish, uh, we had one Mass in Mandarin, another Mass in, in Vietnamese. So it showed this great diversity in the Archdiocese. And then we had three different processions that arrived from, from different directions, arriving at City Hall, which is um, just down the street from the cathedral. And then we together uh, processed up to the cathedral to begin the Mass. So we had uh, uh, mainly a Filipino contingent from the downtown area coming from the east. We had a mainly kind of descendants of European immigrants, Irish and Italians, and the like, a lot of young people, too, from uh, the west side. And then from the south, it was the uh, uh, Mission District, it was largely Latino. We had a huge contingent of Hispanics marching up, and they kind of came at the end singing at the top of their lungs and with great joy and enthusiasm, and it lent a lot of energy to it. So at it really did galvanize our people. And I compare it to what happened about a year before in California. If you recall, there was this effort to introduce a bill in the legislature that would lift the protection of the seal of confession. Right. And that's something else that unified all Catholics in this state. And we just flooded Sacramento with a petition to stop this. And it worked. Uh, this is the same kind of thing. So again, when we're cats from outside, we, we kind of we can bind together because we recognize uh, what is true importance, fundamental importance, which is our worship, our relationship with God. So it definitely has had that effect of galvanizing and energizing our local church here. And so just one last question, because I want to honor your time. And, you know, it's, this isn't only the bishop's responsibility, right? There is a responsibility for the laity to be the salt and light of this world and go out there, right? What would you say to the laity— what should they be doing to help turn the tide of what we're seeing in our country right now? Yes, uh, that, this was a great vision of the uh, Second Vatican Council, which is really building on movements that had started for centuries before, but the vocation of the lay faithful in the world 
to bring the values of the gospel into their spheres of influence. And it's, well, Benedict also reminded us of this in his teaching that it's the, it's the responsibility of the lay faithful to be involved in like the political process and in, in these public works. And we as clergy and religious have a responsibility to help form them well in order to do that. So we need our lay people to, to be involved in community organizations, to be involved in the political process, uh, which is their proper role, to uh, imbue everything with the values of the gospel, which uh, improves things for everyone. Well, Your Excellency, I, I thank you so very much for joining us. I thank you for your, your courage to speak out and know that you're in our prayers as you uh, continue the battle for souls, because it's, it's not going to be uh, an easy battle, but it's one worth fighting. After we recorded this interview with Archbishop Corleone of San Francisco, the Supreme Court came out with this decision to open up churches in California. The Supreme Court lifted California's ban on indoor church services that were imposed by Governor Gavin Newsom's strict orders, which violated the Constitution's protection of free exercise of religion. The decision by the Supreme Court was 6-3, to three, and California, as you may or may not know, had imposed the most extreme restrictions on church services in our country. Archbishop Cordelion has since come out with a statement. As Christians, we are members of a church which literally means an assembly of people coming together to worship God. This is our identity. It is our very nature to gather in person to give honor and glory to God. And especially as Catholics, we know that our worship cannot be live-streamed. There is no way to give communion or any other sacraments via the Internet. I want to thank all those who have worked tirelessly to affirm that the worship of God is the most essential service of all, especially the leaders of South Bay and Harvest Rock churches. I'd also like to thank warmly those Catholics who joined me in standing up against abuses of power by signing the petition at freethemass.com. This is a breath of fresh air in dark times. I am grateful to God and to the founders who gave us the shining light of the Constitution of the United States. May God bless America. So it is about time the Supreme Court is going to be our only hope to defend religious liberty. We need to stand up and speak out loudly. <laughs>